Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. On this special spotlight episode of In the Camp, part of the Barnburner Podcast Network, I am joined by Vivian Gray, native Mimpian filmmaker and now a student at the prestigious USC Film School. Vivian and I get into a lot. We talk her influences, the moment she wanted to become a filmmaker, the Memphis film scene, uh, her short film about to come out, and, and the nuts and bolts of making that, the, the fears and everything involved with that. This is a fantastic conversation with a super, super bright filmmaker uh, and young talent. But first, we've got to talk Blue Note Bourbon, the barn burner sponsor. Blue Note Bourbon is a locally distilled small batch bourbon distilled in Memphis, artfully crafted, and it is delicious. Second batch is out in local liquor stores. Check it out. Blue Note Bourbon, be noteworthy Memphis. And now here's St. Vincent to introduce Vivian. You're a supper. And now I'm here with Vivian Gray, a native Memphian, St. Mary's graduate <laughs> filmmaker, and now a student at the prestigious University of Southern California School of Cinematic Arts. Vivian, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to join me tonight. Oh, thank you for having me. Of course. I, uh, I was happy to see another Memphian filmmaker. I, I know that, that sometimes they can be few and far between, so I definitely wanted to pull a spotlight on you for a little bit once I read that Commercial Appeal article. Oh, gosh. Thank you so much. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> No, you you deserve that intro. That was that 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 right there was a completely accurate intro that you fully deserve. So, thank you so much. Sometimes don't feel like it, but I appreciate it. No, no, completely. So, at the risk of asking a preposterously stereotypical question, what was that first moment you knew you wanted to be a filmmaker? Do you have that light bulb moment? Well, at the risk of being stereotypically annoying, answer I really still don't know. But if I had to pick a moment where I was led down that course into exploring the medium, um, it would be making really ridiculous um, iMovie trailers with my friend in third grade when they first came out. Her name was Margaret, and she had this laptop, and iMovie used to let you do these um, fill-in-the-blank trailers. And I thought I was a comedic genius uh, personally, uh, do you still have any of those? I think she has most of them, but I, I remember one of them was Yoga Master Three Thousand, and I was dressed up in all disco getup, um, but had like a Harry Potter cloak over me, mm-hmm. and then the whole film was me using limited knowledge I knew of yoga from what my mother talked about and at the very end i just revealed a whole bunch of sparkles and fired a nerf gun so that was that well that sounded like you know the the rise the climax and then the conclusion there you really had like a three arc thing going on there absolutely yeah (laughs) that was some of the greatest greatest stuff yeah Um, so you make me want to do yoga honestly that and that's exactly i imagine what that trailer was supposed to do i i know i've always tried to get into it but then I really underestimate the strength aspect (laughs) it takes a lot of core that's unrelated 
No, yeah. no, that's, that's nothing's unrelated on this podcast. This is this is open book here. Fantastic. But I think the moment where I realized that I had that power to either make people laugh, upset, um, etc., was just in showing our moms and having that great pride over even if it was just a dumb little video. It was very fulfilling. And so I can remember even being, you know, in third grade and it wasn't so much as um, a discovery as it was an immediate decision. I remember saying to myself, oh, I'm going to do this. This is this is it. Cool. Right. You, you liked it. You know, you were exploring it in a way that, you know, I guess the technology allowed you to. And you realize, oh, this is kind of something I'm into. And, and it seems to be that's the way that most people sort of fall into it. Yeah. Sometimes I worry about relying on, you know my thoughts and wishes as a third grader, but I've been going with it for so long. So it's turned out. Okay. <laughs> Just so, tap into what works, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you have blockbuster? Like is blockbuster even a thing for you at all? I was on the very tail end. So I was fortunate enough to walk the halls of blockbuster. My, I think I distinctly remember my mom, you know, picking up, you know, Titanic, and then the new really like Tim Burton, Willy Wonka was out, and I was just really fascinated with that film. Um, so I think we rented that a couple times. Have you seen the seventies version? Yes, I I like that one too. I think I used to live in this um, duplex, uh, and the the girl who's living underneath me was super into it, and so I think I became more obsessed with it just because it connected me to that time and Johnny Depp, you know, was, I thought was really cool at the time. No, I mean, everyone did. That was like Pirates of the Caribbean era Depp yeah, when exactly. he came on the scene, like he was doing all these kind of low budget, like Jim Jarmusch things in the nineties. And then once yeah. Pirates came out, he was like, Oh, who's this guy? Like this guy's a, a freaking star. Did he had total turn and that, and his character. And that just made me laugh. And so that's really vivid to my memory. That's good. Um, the hallowed halls of Blockbuster, I feel like. It's crazy that there's going to be a time where, like, no one will even know what that is. Yeah, um, exactly. I think there's – I read somewhere that there's only one left. I think it's in Alaska. I, yeah, I, 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 exactly. Did you read that, too? I think it was on The Ringer. Yeah, I read that. That was an awesome article. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. And they went – and they lost business so quickly. It wasn't a gradual – I mean, within years, all the ones in Memphis were gone. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, I grew up in Bartlett, so I would go to that one uh, in Bartlett in that strip mall, Kirby Whitman stage. And so I had like a, a summer, all you can watch movie pass. You could take two or three out at a time. And I still consider that like my film education. I would just ride my bike up there and rent whatever. And I think I looked up, I think IMDb was just starting to become a thing. So I think I looked up like the top 100 and then yeah. just went down there and just crushed like a hundred movies in, in a summer. Uh, like an eighth grade. And so that was kind of the, Bob us really brought me into it. But yeah, I mean, with, you know, with, with uh, streaming TV, you can see all that stuff from your living room. So I guess it isn't that bad. Yeah. It's, it's, I will say it's more accessible now, but there is, I love, you know, the analog movement. I prefer <laughs> vinyl as um, pretentious as that sounds. And then, you know, <laughs> Rolling, you know, the 35 millimeter film into the camera and hearing the switch of the slide, et cetera. 
I hear you. That's good to hear. Uh, that, that's that's the exact side of refreshing stuff that you want to hear from from someone that's you know just kind of coming into the industry. So, oh, thanks. Yeah. Are you into TV, or is this like a are, yes? Okay. So, like, certain people are of the. Th- this isn't me, but some certain people have the thought that like serialized TV is is kind of killing the film industry. Uh, you know, the movie industry, I guess. Uh, and you don't subscribe to that, or you're just like, I don't fucking care because I love TV or what, what's your, what's your thoughts? A little bit of both. actually. Okay. I think there is, it's a really exciting to see all these original shows come out um, and have scripts that a multitude of scripts that um, get made that I think otherwise wouldn't have if it weren't for these more um, independent mediums. And now they're, they're turning into more, you know, mainstream uh, production companies obviously netflix is huge hulu amazon etc right but there is there's i think there is just more opportunity in terms of sharing stories and from more diverse storytellers and i also just really love <laughs> the tv i mean I, i'm a huge netflix fan right now i'm rewatching arrested development mm-hmm. and so if it's good content it's good content. And I really think movies are, are almost untouchable. And I mean, sure, the, the industry itself might change and um, the logistics of that. However, the actual piece, the, 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 the art of the film itself, it's, that's what matters. And so I think that's always going to stay. I mean, you look at a show like Arrested Development that you had its run in the 2000s and no one really watched it. You know, it was on Fox and no one understood how good it was. And then yeah. it, it comes back on Netflix and an entire generation, including mine kind of discovered it. Oh, and, uh, you know, and it's, so now it's like a thing and then it gets, it gets more seasons because everyone's like, Oh shit, I missed this. This was an awesome show and hilarious. Exactly. It's <laughs> very, very formative, formative to my, uh, humor and experience thus far. I can't, <laughs> I can't uh, see a pair of jean shorts without thinking about Tobias. If I'm being Tobias? Honest. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yes, the never nude. <laughs> um, for some reason, you know, do you remember the hard-boiled eggs line? He says. No. Okay, I look up like Tobias hard-boiled eggs, and it's just him screaming at the fridge. And f- for some reason, that moment in cinematic history has just been ingrained into my being. It brings me such joy every time. Yeah, there, Tobias, I think, has done that for a lot of people. I, and then, of course, Gob and or Jove has certainly done that as well. I, yes. That, that's kind of when Will Arnett came on the scene for me, and I, mean, I think he's just a, a hilarious, hilarious person. When he tries to cast the letter into the ocean and the wind keeps blowing it back, <laughs> uh, that, that, that likewise is ingrained in my brain as, as just a, kind of making fun of that really dramatic scene in, in some, of those, some of those older movies where that would have worked, but for the wind. Absolutely. (laughs) It's crazy how like Netflix and Amazon now are, are, like you said, are becoming like studios and, and now like direct to deep or like not even direct to DVD, but I guess direct to platform is not even like a bad thing. It used to be, that was like, you couldn't get your shit picked up by a studio. And now, so we're just like putting it straight out on video, like a B horror movie type thing. But now it's like Netflix is releasing awesome content like, you know, award-winning type content straight, like Oscar-nominated content straight to your streaming, which is crazy. And then like Manchester by the Sea, produced by Amazon, 
it's uh, it's insane to see. So you're right. Like a lot of scripts that may have sat on the blacklist for, you know, 10 years are now getting like Netflix about them. So long. And I think it's also influencing that, that sort of idea of, you know, bringing more independent scripts is coming into the film industry as well, because Boots Riley, um, Sorry to Bother You, mm-hmm. that script was waiting for something like 10 years and they just released it this year. And it's, oh, I was really properly disturbed by that film. And I mean that in the sense that um, I'm glad I saw it and uh, I should, everyone should see it. Yeah. There's that, have you seen it yet? I have, yeah. Okay, that, that moment, I don't want to spoil it for people, but um, it was, there's a twist in the film that is so grotesque, but makes such gr- gruesome satire. It was so powerful, but it made me sick to my stomach just because they used those practical effects and the sound design and the, the, the you know, the screaming of the, of the, uh, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was insane. Um, and so I'm really excited just to continue to see where this um, movement goes. Hopefully, maybe we can keep the Equitarians to this, to that specific project. Um, but that's one example I thought of. I was like, yeah, this could have not been made 10 years ago. In yeah. In stream markets. That's true. That's true. Uh, I didn't realize that he had written it so long ago. Did you know that David Cross is the reason that movie got made, Tobias? No. Yeah, I listened to an interview with uh, Boots Riley, and and he so he showed it to David Cross. I guess they're just like friends, and David Cross read it and uh, said, "Oh, shit, we got to get this made." So then David Cross kind of shopped it around, and then ended up getting the financing for it. But Boots, I don't think wouldn't have gotten it made except for David Cross, who of course does the quote unquote white voice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. No. So to tie in to tie in two different conversations. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Tobias, for getting some uh, some really some really interesting films made. Heck yeah! All right, so are there any filmmakers? When I ask this question, I feel like there may be people that come to mind. There may not be, but are there any filmmakers you look to for inspiration uh, in your films, or you're going to strive to emulate as your career progresses? And if so, who who would that be? Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm formulating for, formulating. I would say, just because I am a youngling. And most of what I do is imitation for now um, because it's a constant, you know, where do we find our original content and what makes our films our films. But I would say David Lynch um, is a really big influence for me in terms of just not giving um, a heck, (laughs) just (laughs) doing absolutely what he wants to do and being relatively greatly actually successful with it i remember seeing twin peaks for the first time i know that's television but that was my first introduction to him mm-hmm. and that just within the first few minutes of the series i realized oh okay so the rules can be you know taken lightly there isn't a set diet um you know paradigm for anything and so that led me to explore his films, which, of course, are just a whole can of worms, and I love it. So he's really someone I try and emulate just in the sense that in trusting yourself as a creator and knowing that, yeah, some things are going to be bonkers, people might be turned off by him, but it's 
that's probably where you're going to find your strongest stuff is in just the weirdness of it. But I remember my earliest introduction to films in the sense um, as a director and kind of bringing my mind um, from, oh, this could just be entertainment to this is how you create. This is what you should look for. This is how to influence your audience was Wes Anderson. Mm -hmm. I saw Fantastic Fox when I was 10 and I was just amazed by it. The production design, the warmth of the colors, the quirkiness of the dialogue was nothing like I'd ever seen before. And I remember just on the, on the car ride back, I was just day, daydreaming about that film and then days afterwards because it just fascinated me so much. And so right. that turned my perspective more to from a viewer to um, having a desire to actually create and emulate that that scale of just being able to create that world. Have you seen Isle of Dogs yet? I haven't. I haven't either. But I uh, went to the premiere and it was sold out. Oh, really? Yes. Man, I, I mean, it looks it looks to kind of be like the the heir apparent to Fantastic Mr. Fox. So um, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm such a sucker for for claymation, though. So are you looking to work in that medium? I mean, is that something that you'd want to try, or would you be, you know, is that not your jam? I would love to try animation, especially claymation. That is a medium, though, that I am extremely unskilled in. I can't draw, um, but I think there's such a mystical element to it. You can create worlds from such a more unique um, visual design. That's really fascinating to me. And so at the school I am now, it's... Uh, which is USC School for the Cinematic Arts, they have different divisions. I'm in the production division, but I'm really hoping and, ex- um, and excited to meet the animation kids. And I've just been looking through Instagram on, uh, at their stuff, and it's just freaking fantastic. Ugh, love it. So how does it work? I mean, you, you, you get into the school, and then I guess you... You pick whether you want to go into like directing focus or like writing focus, or is there cinematography there as well? I imagine editing. Yeah. So the specifics of the school are, you know, you have um, different starting divisions: writing, uh, writing for screen and television, animation, media arts and practice, um, interactive media, which is mostly game design, cinema media studies, and then I'm in production and. The first few years, they tell us to um, enjoy ourselves <laughs> because <laughs> in the last two years, most of your time is going to be dedicated to your projects, as they should. It's just a bit um, intimidating. And then also in those last two years, you can choose a track or a couple tracks. And that can range from anything to art direction to cinematography, production design, and at this moment, which is the moment a lot of young film peeps are in, um, I see myself as a director. That's what I naturally gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. But I'm really, op- I'm really excited to learn and um, other practices that I haven't had as much experience 
with in terms of um, real-world application. Art direction and production design I'm also really interested in. And then um, writing is just woven within everything. And it's always something I need to work on. Do the, the, the students kind of work? I mean, I imagine as part of the school, you have to com- probably direct and complete a couple of either short films or maybe feature lengths. Do the, the students work to get like, do you, if you want to do like an animation film, do you walk down the hallway and grab one of those animation kids and say, hey, let's, let's like, collaborate and do this together? Or how does it work? Yeah, what, um, you can do that whenever. It may not be within the curriculum, but that might also be better sometimes because mm-hmm. you aren't restricted. Um, they're, everybody's willing. I mean, so far, the people I've met have been willing to collaborate and want to make things just for the sake of making rather than making the grade. And sometimes I get, you know, worried down the road. And, you know, there's that huge stigma around film school in general. If it's not necessarily needed, then why do it? Mm-hmm. And honestly, I don't know the, the logical answer myself. However, I feel such creative um, energy and momentum when I'm learning. And so having this opportunity to just be able to collaborate and fail and make a mess of things in a safe space is a privilege. And I'm super excited. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you often see like when directors are asked like, Hey, how do I, how do I do this? Uh, like on Twitter, for instance, seems to be like a popular medium for people to reach out. And they're always, they always say, make a movie, you know, you got an iPhone in your pocket or whatever. And therefore you can shoot whatever and just do it. That's the experience is the only way to do it. So I, I get what you're saying. A lot of people do talk about whether film school is, is necessary to me. I I mean, to me, the networking opportunities are worth it in itself. I mean, the alumni, the the people you'll meet that'll go on to do excellent things as well. Those are the opportunities in the film industry, especially that you have to, you know, you can have all the talent, but at the same time, like some degree, you do have to be able to market your stuff and and know someone that can market it too. So that's gotta be huge for you too. Exactly. There's always that, the element of, you know, and, that dash of or large sprinkle of luck. <laughs> yeah, probably like a tablespoon, you know, yeah, maybe for uh, uh, measuring it exactly. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it goes. So far, so good. Well, good. I'm glad you're enjoying it so far. So, what about uh, so you said David Lynch and then Wes Anderson, two very distinct filmmakers that mm-hmm. when you're watching their stuff, you know it's them. It's unmistakably them because of what they do and they do it so well. Yes. Are there any Memphis-related influences that, you know, either from a, a directing standpoint, a writing standpoint, or even just, just in the entertainment industry in general that, that you've looked to as you've kind of developed this, uh, this talent? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, and I'll admit, my, I'm a sad excuse for Memphian sometimes. My local his, history is hideously uninformed. I think the people... I've met creators I've met. They're not necessarily like huge, you know, historical, like, um, you know, Booker T and DMGs, Big Star, Craig Brewer. I would say I've grown up around a lot of um, local Memphis musicians and um, like, uh, and uh, so like Steve Selvage and he, his wife, uh, Joanne Self Selvage, her work on um, The Keepers, 
Um, she's really inst- inspirational to me just because I've known her since I was small and I've seen her just continue to not only support other uh, filmmakers within the community, but um, grow in her documentary projects. She's been a really big inspiration to me. Um, and I would also say, and this is kind of a cop-out <laughs> to your question. Well, it's, you've already demonstrated your, your Memphis knowledge here. I mean, you, you, you disclaimed yourself, but I feel like you're doing a great job. So go ahead. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I was looking at this question. I said, oh, gosh, because I didn't want to fake like research just to make myself sound more informed because I honestly have a lot of work to do. But I approach this more as just what I was drawn to as a kid growing up in the area. Mm-hmm. So, oh, sorry, my roommate needs to be let in. Well, that one's like... No, it's okay. Um, so what I was drawn to as a kid was really um, the landscape. I mean, going down to the river, uh, blues on the bluff, just sitting and having a picnic with my friends and my mom, and the really just the power of nature that we have just right next to us um had such a romantic and uh, mysterious feeling that really made me curious about the world and how can we communicate that through different mediums and the food scene and just music all the time I remember uh, my my dad and his buddies uh they would take me to the um rock and romp Where's that? It was, I don't know if it's still happening, but it was a series that where a bunch of just uh, rock bands would get together in someone's backyard and there'd just be a big barbecue and people would come from wherever and listen. It was usually on Saturdays or Sundays. Um, And I remember being a little kid and just feeling super cool. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And that really, that really was formative to me into the sense that people have, are free just to really do what fascinates them. So film has kind of always been something that, even though I may doubt, actually doubt myself a lot sometimes, I know that I'm not necessarily confined to that just because I, I have had the privilege of being exposed to so many wonderful um, artists. So being um, understanding that although it's, sometimes scary and risky to dip into something that you have absolutely no idea about it's worth it because you learn more and you meet great people and it's fascinating fun times that's always the most fun is the stuff that you're scared of not understanding when you finally dive into yeah just terrified (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think that making films i know i'm a writer so i know when i write Every line I write, I question the second it goes on the paper. I'm sure you're the same way. Maybe not. Oh, but, my gosh. Yes. And, and I, the whole process is one constant state of absolute petrifying fear, you know? Yes. And that's been a, that's been something, especially now, um, going back to, you know, the whole, you know, why film school thing? <laughs> yeah, with a monocle on, and I'm holding a, a cup of tea, too. So I'm fully yeah. steering into the why film school question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been just trying to let my brain rest for a second because most of high school was, okay, where are you going to college? Are you going to film school? Um, da, 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 da. It was, I was so focused on the future and that just always, always creates a lot of anxiety. I think for anybody, 
And so right now I'm trying to analyze and focus on, okay, what fulfills me as not only a creator, but what brings me peace um, as a person. Right. So especially with this last project with Indie Memphis and Via Productions. Good, good segue. Oh, thank you. Well, let's, wow. let's talk about it. Uh, a short film. Uh, can you say the title yet or is it, is it still like kind of like a working in progress or what do we got? Uh, still working in progress, but all our yesterdays is the TBA. Wait, not the TBA, the interim interim title. Sure. Yeah. But my my directing strategy for that was just to chill the... F- <laughs> chill the you can say part. it. No, you can say it. This is a, calm, this is, yeah. calm the fuck down, <laughs> Ian, please. Because I felt a lot... In the past, I felt a lot of pressure to um, come across as a lot more experienced and mature than I actually am. And I read a really great quote from St. Vincent that said, you know, the people who seem, you know, most experienced and good at what they do is because they don't, they don't feel obligated to show effort. It just comes from relaxation and um, a, comfort, a level of comfort with yourself as an artist. So, so you, you, you directed this, uh, how, how long is the, the film? Do you- um, it's probably going to be around 10 minutes. Okay. But what can you tell us about it? Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's dig in. It started out, actually, I'll just give it, I'll just give it. So, um, it's a, the story of two women, one of whom is, um, a retired burlesque dancer and the other is a aspiring journalist and the journalist approaches um um, the older woman's name is beth approaches beth with the book opportunity and promises you know in exchange for you know her trust and her story that this will be published however the moment we are looking at is when beth discovers that actually the young reporter never had a book deal they were only gambling with the gambling with her story and selling it in order to maybe get it out there. Um, and so it's really about something I identify, I identify a lot with, um, which is, you know, naivete as a young person and telling stories and how to, how, um, how are we responsible for the content that we write and, or put on screen, but also just about what we do for attention and why does attention in itself have to be a dirty word? So what drew you to this project? I mean, I, I realized, I think it was a classmate of yours that wrote it. I came up with the idea, I think, a couple years ago. But it was something just kind of as underdeveloped as, oh, what if, you know, there's a um, retired uh, burlesque dancer and a reporter comes to talk to them. Super lame <laughs> no the very first notion is is in the, the grips you with what becomes the basis of your story for sure that's that's always how it starts thank you thank you <laughs> I, I don't know if that's true i just said it and it sounded okay so you uh, yeah. no that really made it more profound than it actually was <laughs> that's like what i do is i make myself sound more profound than i actually am so me too all the time <laughs> but i wanted it to so morphing it to something more I approached my friend um, Samantha Lee with it and said, hey, man, you can write very wonderfully. Um, how can we make this more dynamic and honest? And the, the, 
the um, guidelines I was given within the ND Memphis project itself was a short film. So turning a feature into a five to 10 minute. And so that's where we kind of sat down and took out all the, the, the plot elements that would have made enough time for a feature and just focused on the relationship of these two women and the betrayed trust. Uh, is this a situation where you had like a feature in mind or was there, and you went to Samantha and said, Hey, I need you to cut this down to a five or 10 page script or, you know, were you developing it with a short story with a short film in mind from the beginning? Yeah. Um, it, I initially imagined it as a feature because it did have many element, uh, plot elements such as other family members being in charge of the reporter hiring, the setting was different, et cetera. So then I approached Samantha with just this one confrontation and said, how can we make this a short within itself? Mm -hmm. So um, transforming the feature to the short story was very challenging. I honestly don't know if we, if we did it to, if we, if we did it for the best moment, because that confrontation is essentially a climax of the film. And so a big challenge for us was not only making sure the audience understands what is happening, but not brushing over the emotions that are happening right now within the story in order to fit it within five to 10 minutes. Still giving a lot of, you know, curves and um, arrange a, a dynamic tone. Yeah, it's got to be incredibly difficult to cut it down. But I guess if you have to pick a moment, the climax seems to be a justifiable portion. It would be the most trauma, I guess. Yeah, it definitely packs a punch. <laughs> well, that's good. So had, had Samantha, had she written any scripts before? Or was this you saying, let's, uh, let's explore this medium? She's, I mean, a badass, truly. She's written, she's written a lot of scripts, but she's, a lot of the writing she's done is um, just prose. And, and fiction and she's a fantastic comedy writer and so we've gone to the same school um and always end up kind of in the same place we went to this summer program together without realizing we're both applying etc and so yeah we know each other personally but we've just sort of magically happened to be at the same place in the same time in so many instances um she's kind of become my a writing collaborator and I plan to <laughs> use her as much as possible in the future. <laughs> well, it's not, it sounds like you've already got one of your go-to screenwriters, which is the first step. Uh, yes. I'm very, <laughs> dare I say blessed. Good. Um, well, I, one thing I wanted to talk about. So Indie Memphis, is this like a scholarship deal and they, they finance the short film and do they provide you like all the equipment, the cameras, like the crew or how does that work? Yeah. So the, it's a, Production value package, which means they provide crew and equipment through Via Productions. And Joseph Carr was the, um, he's the um, artist support coordinator. He um, really helped me in terms of producing and just general wisdom and guidance throughout the process. But in terms of content, at least in my experience, it was mostly. Um, efforts um, that Samantha and I made. Writing, we got um, recommended through Joseph Carr to Melissa uh, Sweezy, who is a screenwriter um, extraordinaire over at Running Pony. 
and she was gracious enough to give us some edits on our first draft. But then the script was really up to us. We, I was also recommended my actors through Via Productions, uh, Shannon Walton and Stephanie Norwood. And then in terms of um, just directing and set-to-set operations, I've been fortunate enough to have some experience in the past on sets and my own projects. And so directing, like I said, I was trying just to be more authentic, chill out. Um, but otherwise, it was based on a lot of my past experience. So I, I kind of want to get into the nuts and bolts, too, because I feel like this is all often glossed over. Yeah. What is it, how many days was the shoot? Was it was, was it one day? OK. Yeah. And um, where would where'd you shoot? I think downtown Memphis. Is that right? Downtown Memphis in my mother's office. Rachel Gray interior design. Very cool. Everybody check it out. That's a plug. Rachel Gray in design. Check it out. She's speaking of inspirations, one of my biggest inspirations. And uh, it was a 12-hour shoot starting, I think, call. I kind of just slept downtown because I just wanted to be in the space. Um, right. Shoot. Starting at 7.30 a.m. and we wrapped sometime about 6 p.m. What were some surprising moments there? I mean, you've been on sets before and seemed to know your way around it. Was there anything that freaked you out about this particular shoot? The content was really, really intimidating. Since it is, I'm telling a you know, story of um, an older woman and a woman who was a, uh, a stripper, and I felt that I had to be super on top of making sure that all of that was as authentic and true as possible because I cannot speak for someone else's experience. I have to do due diligence and do research um, and so in terms of directing, it was my first time handling that sort of, that just uh, not un- more uncomfortable content, but heavier, uh, super heavy, drama-filled. And I'd, to that extent, never directed that kind of content before. And so approaching my actors with my challenge to myself to just be more relaxed and sp- speak slower, take my time with it while also staying on top of the schedule while also balancing this super heavy stuff that's going on was probably the scariest part for me. No, did you have any rehearsals prior to the shoot or was this just to pick up the camera and go? We had one rehearsal, but it was with an actress that the chemistry just wasn't working between them. And that was my first experience. I mean, uh, I, it was my mistake as a director, just trying to figure out, uh, you know, casting and um, who worked together. So the, I had one rehearsal with Shannon uh, Walton, who plays the younger uh, reporter, Mackenzie. But I did not meet um, Stephanie, who plays Beth, until that morning of the shoot. Wow. Yeah. Which was, which was scary because um, it's, I mean, d- director, actors, it's a relationship. A weird one, nonetheless, but it's still a relationship. And so gaining that trust, trying to gain that trust so quickly and figuring out how to, you know, how to communicate and just let her do, you know, her thing, um, her craft was a, was a, um, fun challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you got such a great experience within this, this, you know, 12, 12 hour shoot. Like, I mean, you would never have gotten that. And what are the odds that that would have happened? But now you've done that. Now you've worked through some casting controversy. You've had to meet and direct an, an actress on the same 
day, you know, and uh, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's such a good experience you got. Yeah, it was, I'm forever grateful. It's amazing. What was the most, the most difficult part about the shoot? Hmm. There was just the, the, there's always going to be the, the pressure of trying to direct this whole scheme, but a specific moment that really got my brain going in terms of, okay, how can we, how can we fix this? What's not working? It was, it was um, in a really tense part of the film when the, the dialogue climaxes. Mm-hmm. It was originally written to where only uh, Beth is having this sort of um, diatribe. And it just wasn't, we had had all this momentum in the morning. It was the middle of the day. And I was getting really just great auras from everybody, if that sounds too hippie. That's the best way to describe it. And immediately, once we got to this scene, that all drained out. And so I said, oh, crap. You know, what's going on? What's wrong? And so what I decided to do was just let um, the other actors who didn't have lines improv. Uh, Shannon, uh, Walton. I really like just letting actors do their thing if they feel comfortable with that. And immediately we had to work through it a little bit more and just get the, you know, specifics of it. But the momentum picked back up and the tension wasn't dropped. So it's a little bit of, um, it's, it's, uh, I, I haven't had a lot of, um, opportunities to really just let people do their thing and risk it for the biscuit, see how it goes. Um, (laughs) but that was really rewarding. Scary rewarding. I bet. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's and you were able to read that on the fly and tell you know that the, maybe the tension had lapsed a little bit and kind of audible and and that seems to me to be the the an incredible like microcosm of what a director's life is you know sticking to the script is really the case right you hear often of those moments like that that happen just you know they're really honest on set that that end up becoming some of the greater moments that we have in film. Absolutely, I am a huge huge supporter of just. Letting it, letting the thing just become what it wants to be, if that makes sense. As a director, that's what I'm, I don't like. I don't often plan for things very well. And so I said, okay, well, if I find success in my life, just with kind of seeing how things evolve as I work through each draft, letting that happen on set is also a challenge I've given myself just to let things breathe and not immediately panic when something doesn't look the way you initially imagined it. Because ultimately you can try your best to plan and see, you know, get your shot list aligned, whatever, but it's going to turn out how it's going to turn out. And so I think a great practice is to just work with that. For sure. It seems like kind of controlling chaos for lack of a better way to put it. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. So is, is, you've, you've been you've been currently editing it, or is it locked, or what, what's the editing status? Editing status um, is still early stages. It's my first time working with um, a red camera, and so there's a a lot of lingo I'm learning. And what's a what's a red camera? A red it's um it's a really um, sweat <laughs> nerve inducing um, camera just because it's really really nice like some of them cost as much as a house and it's the one via provided me with and so it comes with it's we were shooting in oh gosh i don't want to fuck this up 
Four, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was 4K, so the file size is really large. Yeah. And so it was my first time working with proxies, which are just kind of a baby size of that. So you, you're, you're, um, you don't get a lot of lag in the editing room. And so I've been, there was that learning curve, just, you know, toggling between the proxies and the actual uh, original files. Uh, but now, you know, I got the space bar shift, you know, three down <laughs> back and <laughs> forth. And so I'm getting more to the meat of it. Are you editing on your, your laptop or are you going, where, where are you doing this? Uh, laptop. And then I work off an external drive because I've had this laptop since seventh grade. And I'm uh, working on Premiere, which I know is a no-no because Avid's like the thing. But I still haven't learned that yet. I'm just trying to get it done. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. At this point now, it's just I need to get this edited in the can yeah. before That's anything. Yeah. And there's also college going on. Too, <laughs> oh, yeah. There's that, too. You know, like your, uh, yeah. your school as well. Yeah. So your your brand moving to a moving to a different coast. There's that, too. Yeah. Moving school. A lot of working parts. But it's um it's an honor. <laughs> Tally ho. When's the premiere? When's the red carpet? Oh, gosh. Wow. Um. <laughs> hopefully i'm i'm trying to just kind of because i would like if i'm being you know my naive young star in the eyes filmmaker um person i'm trying to kind of look at festivals local sm- smaller festivals and see um setting some dates for when it would be a good time to have the finals done so i could submit accordingly so i'm looking early november or late october Okay, and there's a there's the Indie Memphis Film Festival, of course, in November, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yes. And Boots Boots Riley's actually coming to that. I know. I saw that. I was yeah. I was I was pretty hyped about that. And I'm gonna be gone. Oh really? See, so you're you're probably you'll be in class, right? Yes. Oh man. I mean, yeah. If you give me some questions, I can act as your proxy. I can ask about the uh, the horse the horse people. Um, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Equitarians. I'm yes. <laughs> I want to. I want to. I want to see those costumes. I just want to see like the the act of that being put on and that, the, uh, the physical nature of the actors in, in in underneath. Oh my gosh! Yes, I'm so fascinated and disturbed, which has been really great to analyze that dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was genius, 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 genius. No, I'll, I'm, I'm taking you up on your offer. I'll send you some questions after this. Uh, yeah. So we're looking for late October or November for the premiere of your short film. I think I think everyone's excited too. The cities. I've I've heard other people mention it as well. I think a, some, a lot of the people saw the John Bivis' piece. So there's some buzz going on. Oh boy! <laughs> Not to add any any additional. Uh, intimidation to the process, but it's a, it's a more positive than anything. Oh, thank you. I love you. Love you all. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know that um, one thing I read in, in John's piece and maybe kind of a, a thorough line of this process is, uh, you know, talk a little bit about the importance of, of female filmmakers to get that sort of that realistic narrative in an industry where sadly very underrepresented. Uh, do you kind of feel like a sense of responsibility to that or has that been at all part of your thought process? If I'm just being completely candid, I feel just most responsibility to present my story and myself as authentically as possible Mm -hmm. um, and as unashamed as possible because in doing that, I'm 
in advocating for myself, I'm just in, in, am able to present more authentic stories. I feel a lot of responsibility also just with the stories I tell because I am a very uh, privileged uh, person and woman to have the opportunities that I have and just in terms of my education and um, my experience. And so I always try and just be conscious of that and make sure, especially if I'm telling stories of women whom I've never met and if I haven't had that same experience that, again, I'm doing my research, doing my due diligence and working and collaborating with them rather than speaking for them because that's really, really gross. Um, But in terms of the industry as a whole, I get really... I have this conversation with myself all the time, too, so it's a devil-edged sword. We're underrepresented in the industry, but then when we come up and say, hello, I'm here, I'm doing my thing, uh, we get this prefix. So, you know, how does it... What's it like being a woman in film? What's it like being a woman in music? It's It just makes me want to say, uh, dude, like, we have to not only, you know, work to just get a space, but to legitimize that space. And so moving forward with the responsibility of creating a space for myself, I do feel that pressure to present my story and my experience as authentically as possible, but also just advocate for myself as an artist. You know, I don't have to be in this like niche market of directors, you know? Right. I mean, you know, the, the, the term female filmmaker really shouldn't exist. You know, filmmaker really is just a general term for anyone in the industry, despite gender, whatever else. So yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, exactly. And so it's this, it's this, um, it is a really hard thing to balance. Um, but I also don't want to, you know, minimize that struggle. So especially as a young, young gal, it's, um, it's been something I've tried to, um, figure out, okay, what do, what do I believe in? What's my purpose and my place within the greater part of the industry as a woman? Well, I suspect that you'll make big marks in that regard. I, I read that you have a director trademark, which really pumps me up. Uh, and it, it, it involves a particularly awesome musician, which I am also a fan. So I was especially pumped when I read that. Yeah. Uh, actually have kind of rediscovered her catalog recently, too. So, yeah, I was uh, I was pretty fucking hyped when I saw that. So tell me about that. How'd that come about? Okay. Um, gosh, I get so uh, embarrassed because I want to be as respectful as possible. But I was first introduced in, to Zane Vincent from my seventh grade teacher just hating on her music. <laughs> yeah, That sounds about seventh grade teacher par for the course. Yeah. yeah. It was really devastating because I thought he was like super cool. He was into Alt-J and local natives, which I was really into at the time. So that made me lose a little trust, but also I gained great um, inspiration from that. And so I've just followed her her work for a really long time. Lyrically and sonically, I just connect on a really metaphysical level. And it's um, always just puts me at peace or gets me hype or like makes me feel sexy, makes me feel um, excited, etc. And so it's turned more from just admiration of the work itself to also just admiring her as a person. And so, uh, yeah, I just decided, hey, I have this magazine. I want just a little bit of myself in this set. Why not just have her in there? 
And I thought um, John Byfus was, that came back. He said, do you have anything else you want to share? And I always try and just say, hey, hello, love, light of my life. Um, I'm here. <laughs> um, he, he made that much more eloquent than I was expecting, um, <laughs> which I appreciate. But I think that impulse just comes down to wanting, wanting it to be just more personal space and make the set intimate in my own, you know? Are you going to hide that same magazine in every set you're ever on? I feel like now you have to. Sure thing. <laughs> um, I actually have it in my dorm uh, room here. It's a great spread. It's the last print issue of Nylon Magazine. Check it out. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Well, her, her self-titled album is how I discovered her, which is the, <gasps> the one where she got the most love, I feel like, uh, critically. Then I kind of went back. I really like that David Byrne duo album she did. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. My favorite tracks off that are Ice Age, of course, Who, and then I used to think I should watch TV. Um, I would say my favorite, if I had to pick an album, probably Actor. And then um, some of my favorite songs are Sparrow, um, Teenage Talk, Huey Newton, Grot, and then um, the one that just is my anthem, uh, especially sonically, is just the same but brand new it's just the best yeah yeah well cool i'm, I'm glad that uh a true fan is, is getting the work recognized <laughs> thanks uh so i want to close out with just a, a pretty stereotypical question begin with stereotypes and with stereotypes what was the last great film you saw vivian Ooh. it could be in theaters it could be just on netflix it doesn't have to be a new movie it could just be something you just now saw just now saw so i just saw singing in the rain in my um cinema class for the first time and another area that i'm really hideously uninformed in is um older cinema and so first going in i thought it's be like the uh rather that's a little swing time sort of thing but mm -hmm. they presented it on the rid like the true 35 millimeter print which is always the best and the colors were so intense and just the the production value and the skill of the actors and actresses it's something that i'm i wouldn't have probably gone to unless i'd been introduced to it or just for its historical importance but it's it now turned into okay despite the genre it's still a fucking good uh movie so that was really um a great kickoff to the to the year That's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, well, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for hanging out with me and, and doing this podcast. And uh, oh, dude, really you. look forward to seeing what you do in the future. We'll follow oh. your career with great interest. Thank you so much. Of course. Vivian, have a good night and have a good rest of the semester, okay? You too. I Bye -bye. mean, with your life. <laughs> Thanks. <Bye. laughs> oh, yeah, no, I